Today we are joined by Trisha from That Reading Thing to talk to us all about teaching reading to students who are on the older side. And this is definitely a population that does not get enough discussion. I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode of some of the unique considerations we need to take into place to make sure that our older students are successful readers as well. the science of special education. Today, I am super excited to have Trisha Miller. Am I saying the last name correct? Yes, you are. Perfect. <laughs> um, and uh, she works with a lot of our older students, which is something that I often hear people talk about not having a lot of information about. So I am really excited to have her here and give us some insight into working with kind of our older student population. Trisha, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself to start us off? Sure. Um, my my weird, weird accent comes from the fact that I'm a Canadian from Vancouver, but I've lived uh, right near Liverpool in England for the last 29 years. And we initially came to do youth work. Now, in uh, back in Vancouver, I, I got a degree in English language, started out in linguistics, um, uh, did my secondary English teacher training out there. And then we came out here to do youth work. And I thought I was going to go into teaching. And then just through youth work, met young people. Now, they, they weren't illiterate, right? It's actually very rare to meet a completely illiterate teenager, but they weren't thriving in high school. Like in here, they write exams at 16 and um, they, weren't, they weren't passing those exams. So it became clear that they just couldn't read words that they've never seen before. And I am a secondary teacher. I you know, kids come fully reading, apparently. <laughs> That's what I thought anyway. Um, so I kind of set out on a, on a journey to answering the question, how do you teach a teenager to read? And in that process, I tripped over, literally, well, I didn't literally trip. I literally saw it with great excitement, just a new penguin, orange penguin spine in our local library. And new books are a thrill. And it was Why Children Can't Read by Diane McGuinness. And that's what started me. And that was 1998-ish. And in 1980, um, so in, in the late 90s, I started using what we now call linguistic phonics or speech-to-print phonics, me knowing nothing. It just made sense to my own brain. And um, using it in... Uh, with kids who turned out to be involved. It is, we call them now SCMH schools in the UK, social, emotional, and mental health needs. Um, and, and there was a real crossover with the youth offending team. Um, so You mentioned so, speech to print. Can you just explain a little bit about what that is and how it might be something a little bit different than what people are used to? Absolutely. When, when we think of phonics, it's usually something like, Kata spells cat. <laughs> okay, that's really awful. That's really oversimplifying. But <laughs> but we tend to, if you look at the word and say, can you see which bit of that is the k? Um, you know, or we it, it's a most people think of phonics. If you look online, phonics for teaching reading, you'll see loads and loads and loads of activities where it's like, mmm, for monkey, that kind of thing. Whereas speech to print says a whole word. So at the very beginning, the very, very first thing we might do is, okay, we're going to build the word bet. What's the first sound you hear in bet? Now, can you, do you know how to write the b in bet? So we start with saying it, and that's something that teenagers can do. 
Um, yeah, it's something they already know, right? They already are speaking. <laughs> so they, they know. Exactly. And, right. and they're terrified of the written word. And I, I say that, you know, I'm not overstating that. That they, they they have been felt so embarrassed and so ashamed over the years by by trying to look at a page and not read. <laughs> Um, and so when you say, actually, we're not, we're, we're just going to talk about, let's say this word, you know, what's the first, what do you hear? That it's just reorienting their whole attitudes, really, about what they think reading is. And it's not that. They're always quite surprised that it's that. Um, so when so when I started doing that with these young people, you know, it, it worked really well, but it was still a program initially created for small children. And um, if you're, you've got a reading age of seven, but you're 13, you don't want a program written for seven-year-olds. And, yeah. and that's when I decided to do to do something just for them. And it, it's significantly different from anything that you'll see out there for little ones because 13-year-olds um, come with a whole bunch of background knowledge that they don't even know they have. So you, yeah. can, you can get ahead quite quickly. And it's called that reading thing because no matter what I called it, when I walked into this little school, a boy would say, hey, Trisha, we're doing that reading thing. <laughs> but I let them be right, that's all. So you kind of developed you know, a curriculum or a program that really is specific for older students. So with all of the students that you've seen, why do you think it is that we have so many students getting to this point, You know, getting to you know, middle school, high school, teenage years, and they're not reading proficiently? Why do you think that is? Um, I think, Initially, and I think those of us who learn to read by whole word methods and um, whole language methods and all sorts of things, the way I did, um, I think we were very, very, very lucky to accidentally figure out that there was a connection in our brains, and they know that now, it's actually a connection in our brains between what we see and what we say. And um, I, it was actually a, a senior teacher in my kids primary school many years ago who said ah, I get what you're doing most children figure this out what what do we say in, in the UK it's about 75 80 percent you know figure out that connection without being told she said but you're making it explicit for that 25 percent who don't accidentally trip over into making that connection and so if you don't make that connection you, there's lots of super bright kids who learn thousands of words by sight get to secondary school where the pictures have disappeared the print is tiny the teachers have these high expectations it's just not so nurturing and you can't figure out how to read those big words that carry all the content and, and that's what happens. That's what was happening with these young people that I saw, you know, in my own kitchen. Yeah. And do you find that when you're seeing these older students that a lot of them along the way have picked up some sort of a label, uh, you know, of disability of this or that? Um, yeah. And here in the UK, I don't know how your labeling system works. I call them marquees. It's like a giant billboard weighing down their shoulders. It's a, a, if it was a label, you could just peel it off. <laughs> But actually, it's much heavier than a label for many of them. And it can really hinder how they feel about themselves as, as learners in general. Um, you know, reading, I can't read, I will never learn to read. We hear that from adults too often. Um, and of course, behavior. 
there's such a connection between shame and behavior because at some point it's better to kick off than to show everybody you can't do something and I, I used to see that happen with young men in through the youth offending team when they'd want to go and take a course in automotive auto mechanics because they were brilliant working with cars like their brains just worked that way but they couldn't read and they, they're all excited they get to college course like a community college and the first thing that happens is they're handed stuff to read and to save face of course they get thrown off the course <laughs> rather than admit I can't do right. that so yeah. yeah there's a huge connection with labels whether it's behavior or a special educational need and that's not to say that some people whether they're children or adults don't have significant difficulties making that connection between what they see and what they hear I you know I, I get that but they can still learn to read right yeah I see a lot of times in our schools once the student gets the label they're kind of pushed into this special education realm and taken out of reading instruction right like oh well you can't do yeah. what the rest of the class is doing so we'll put you over here but we're not really providing the special education teacher with another program or curriculum or training in order to provide yeah. you with that explicit intensive instruction so they're kind of just left now even getting farther behind not getting any instruction yeah and getting angrier and getting angry Sometimes. right <laughs> yeah that because you're right you mentioned you know it's a lot easier to carry on, to kick off, like you said, you know, in the class, then say, I can't do this worksheet because I can't yeah. read the instructions for sure. Yeah. So how do you approach reading with older students? What makes it different um, than maybe what they've had before and what, what makes it seem to work? Okay, there's there's a few ingredients there. And the very first thing, I, I should say, I actually wrote the program initially for youth workers to deliver, not teachers. And our so our external evaluation was done with youth and community workers and community volunteers delivering this to some of the most marginalized young people that anybody could find in our in our in and out of our system education system here. Um, so what we were hearing then from teachers was, wow, what did you do with that one? we'd written him off. And I hate to say that that's the language I still do here. We've written that one off. And um, and I think what you say about people being kind of um, sidetracked into programs with very little expectation, you don't have to use the actual words, we've written that one off. Sometimes it's just by what you do, right? How you organize yeah. the education system. Um, so anyway, that's when now it's, it's almost exclusively teachers because youth work ran out of funding. I don't know about what happened in the States, but it certainly did here. Um, so anyway, so that go back to that. It's very relational. That was intention, intentional. So the very first thing that the young person hears is, by the way, you don't have to know anything that we haven't learned together. So that's the starting point for that reading thing, which is an educational do-over. You, you don't have to know anything. And the, the result is they exceed your expectations from the first moment you read anything because they know lots. They just don't know they know it. <laughs> um, and the flip side of that, which is something they're also not used to, is you, you do expect them to know what you have learned together. So 
so they and they rise to those expectations um so that that's i think that's the first thing that's a really key ingredient and the other thing is that we um we work on multisyllabic words from the first 20 minutes because mm. we're in a hurry yeah <laughs> we yeah. can't half around at learning consonant blends and clusters um, or perfecting those kinds of things because sometimes they do struggle to read a word like strict because of it's hard to get wrap your mouth around those sounds. But funnily enough, they're not the least bit bothered by instructions. And we know I know that. So I'm happy for them to sort of fly as fast as they can. And then we add endings so that they they within a few hours we we I, I always phrase it they go from sap which is a word they may never have seen before these are not Canadian kids um, or 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 northeastern American kids who know the word sap it's fine um English kids don't know that um the recognition in three to five hours right we don't want that to be weeks or months or years but hours and 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 that's and they can and they can do that. So th that's I think those are the two most significant differences. The underpinnings are pure synthetic phonics, not synthetic, sorry, linguistic phonics. Um, we don't we don't deviate from that, um, but we do it in a different pace. And I guess can I say add a third thing there? Yeah, They're sure. allowed. They've got tons of power in the session. So when somebody, I frequently get asked, well, how do we know when we move from this level to that level? I say, well, did you ask them? No, ask them. Do you want to do a few more at level four? You're good. Are you good now? Should we go on to level five? Do you like that? Do you want to do a few more? And so they, it's a really weird for them. It can be kind of uncomfortable. They're not used yeah. to that, but we want to give them the, the agency really, right. to and, be and that's in control. So important, especially for the older, our older students. I have three teenagers of my own. So <laughs> giving them, yeah, you know, ownership <laughs> piece and that control piece, um, you know, it's not somebody telling them what to do, but they are really taking ownership of, of their own, of their own reading. So I think that, yeah, that's really important for sure. Do you have any kids who are just really, because of all of that shame and the embarrassment that they felt are really hesitant to even begin Oh yeah, like I'm sure there's <laughs> loads. And every once in a while, you get somebody who absolutely won't do it. And the answer is, that's good. That's fine. Like that. This is this is your education, and you have that choice. I mean, I used to occasionally get kids sentenced to that reading thing from a magistrate here as part of their community order to stay out of prison. And even then. I remember that, you know, these lads really tough. I'd say, well, if you don't want to be here, you, you don't have to stay. It's like, no, yes, I do. No, I don't mind. Check in with me. And then if you want to go, of course they stay then because uh -huh. they've got the choice not to. And right. then they realize they can do it. And then, and then they really stay right. Then they, they're, as soon as you kind of, it, part of our, our policy, our aim is to have them do something they didn't think they could do within the first 30 minutes so that they go, oh, I didn't know I could do that. I mean, we have a lot, so many stories of they're happy tears, but pretty emotional stuff. Yeah. Because if young people have felt like they've failed and they're 15 and they've been going to school to get something that's like way beyond their expectations, it could be pretty emotional. 
And I imagine, uh, is, is it really designed for more of a one-on-one type situation? It really is. And, and that's one of those things that, of course, I have words with high schools all the time about it. It's false economy to say, we can't afford that. They have to be in a class because you can move, you can accomplish more in like eight sessions, one-to-one than you could probably in in most of the year in a group. Now people who are much better teachers than I am, and I do, so I, I never say never, ever, a flex with anybody. You know, I've had people with huge vision who just had no option um, get fantastic results and find out that of the 11 kids they were working with, only one of them in the end needed to go and get one-to-one. So I, I don't, as I say, I don't ever say never, but initially, as, until somebody has the confidence of the the language to use and they they realize I can do this and I can use these words and I can I can talk about my reading. Yeah. And once they've got that power, then they can they can cope with it in classes and right. Just- and being in that one-on-one situation, I mean, it gives them kind of that license to make mistakes without having their peers <laughs> right around. You know, I, I can and- imagine they'd be hesitant to to participate and really, you know, in a group. Unless, like you said, I mean, some, you know, you might have a group of students who have really great relationships and the teacher's got a great relationship with them and, and, you know, feels like they could, you know, do that together for sure. But I imagine that that one-on-one definitely could be more more results. And I mean, when we, this is many years ago now, um, one of our youth projects, the kids used to come out, had permission to leave school and go into the youth project. And I just, that was the best model because the woman who ran that she'd say you know they'd come in gang members and and you know we all know that the problem of being in a gang right that's we don't need much imagination and this really tough gang member teenager would walk into the room take his coat off sort of hang his jacket on the back metaphorically hang the gang colors on the back of his chair and just be a kid for 50 minutes do this stuff and then as soon as it's getting close to the hour you know put it all back on and 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 leave and you can't do that in a group when your right. peers expect you to be somebody tough you know right how long does it typically take do you do you how long do you have people you know in the program I'm sure it varies from from student to student but kind of a typical what does that look like what does it look like? It's so funny. It's just, I mean, it really, really is how long is a piece of string. It's um some some young people come in and go, oh, is this all it was? <laughs> you know, boom, they're gone. And you know that a teacher in Australia was telling me that one of the science teachers came up to her and said, I don't know what you've done with that kid, but he's just moved to the front of the class so he can pay better attention. Like those are the signs that this is working when and when they get bored so if there's 30 levels in that reading thing and somebody might take 12 hours to get through that they might take if they've got if they're dyslexic and they really need a lot more time to process things you know they might they might be with you for 20 hours but we always say we start off doing a lot of that reading thing and a little bit of reading and then that changes so the longer you can keep a young person with you and reading practicing reading the the better it is but just that's where schools have a hard time doing that one-to-one because that's a lot of time and a lot of staffing yeah 
And is it something that you would typically recommend they're doing every day for a certain amount of time or, you know, twice a week? What's kind of a yeah, I I say try to fit in an hour a week, but I think most schools, it, it's really interesting. All of my experience was with young people who were completely out of the education system. It was really easy to fill an hour because they'd tell me about all the illegal stuff they'd been doing at the weekend. They'd been telling about the friend got arrested. You know, we had lots to talk about as well as doing TRT. And I always say that if you're doing an hour, 45 minutes of that is talking. Yeah. Because young people have, they don't have face-to-face conversations with adults very often. Just like, you know, whatever, whatever it is, just get chatting. Um, but in school, they tend to be a little bit more institutionalized. That's a weird word to use, but they're, they're more like, come in just get it done you're obviously like a teacher so we'll treat you like a teacher <laughs> um, so I'd say you know do a 40 minute maximum session inside of school so some schools do it three 20 minute sessions a week some do it a whole hour it's just whatever fits the timetable and does everyone start at level one or do people come in at different levels everyone starts at level one unless when they do their assessment they whiz through it all until just the last three words. <laughs> if they do that, then we start them much further along. But otherwise, the, so the difference is someone who comes in, I had a 12-year-old once who couldn't spell hat. Okay, that's a, every teacher just went, oh, um, couldn't spell hat. Well, he was going to take a lot longer to get at each, he wanted, you know, we had to do a lot of words at every stage. Um, compared to someone who just kind of whizzes through and they're spelling, they don't need any of the visual clues and they're doing stuff. So someone might spend 20 minutes on level two. Level one's the assessment. I'll give them credit for everything. Level two is um, you know, just CVC words and syllables. So they might spend 20 minutes there. They might spend 10 seconds on CVC words <laughs> and then head right into the long words. Um, those, those young people, often it's confidence to begin with. And, and yeah. getting them reading those, those long words, yeah. You mentioned originally the program was kind of set up for youth workers who I imagine didn't have a lot of training to begin with. <laughs> so what have you found when working with, you know, training people to provide this program or reading instruction in general? What do you see as really, what do they need in order to do this? Well, yeah, I was thinking, you know, really trying to mull that over. Um, of course, I think when it comes to, I do two different things. I do that reading thing, which is like a very detailed recipe. And if you follow the detailed recipe, you will end up with a souffle. Like don't deviate, don't chuck in a little of this and a little of that, just do it and it will work. But I also train teachers to teach spelling and spelling is deeper, it's harder to teach than reading. There's a lot more knowledge required. And I, I mean, it's a, it's a huge, difference and I don't ask youth workers to teach spelling because there is a lot more content to know I think that the, the main things about um reading are just understanding the idea that for reading the squiggles on the page represent the sounds we say out loud and the concept of graphemes so we're not looking at letters we're looking at letters and groups of letters that represent sounds um, we're working in syllables and we've got this, this is the most brilliant one that you can look at a grapheme and it can represent more than one sound. And that's something that lots of 
um, older struggling readers just have never known. They've never known that if you look at O-U-G-H, it might be O, though, taught or thought, right, through all those different things. So we want everybody to understand those concepts, but in the program, that's kind of done for you. If you do the activities, those concepts happen. They happen and they get. So when I say discovery learning, I don't mean like fuzzy discovery learning. They'll they'll trip over something eventually. I mean really so structured that they can't avoid discovering it yeah um, so they don't so so it, so for something like that the reason we can go so fast is there's no teaching it gets laborious it's really boggy they get bogged down when someone over teaches and over explains everything um so for that's for reading for spelling, you need to draw a few more connections. So I, I, I say both things, and there, that's all phonics, but phonics, of course, then there's morphology and all those things that you'll have heard about too. Right. Um, thinking yeah, about, so you mentioned multi multi-syllable words earlier and thinking about kind of what I see a lot of teachers do is kind of teaching students different types of syllables you know, for example, you know, and then and then having the students take these long words and break them into these syllable types, that has not worked for me in the past. And I know you you don't you do something a little bit different. So could you just kind of explain how you get students to work with multiple syllables if they're not, you know, looking at these six syllable types and breaking them down and taking twenty minutes to, to decode one word? How do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. I, my, my brain can't cope with syllable types. I just want to say that there's just too much information. And, and, and my brain when reading, I, I don't care whether something has come from Latin or Greek it comes to spelling and teaching vocabulary. There's lots of time to do that. But if you're actually teaching someone to read, then we say, we're going to build the word dentist. How many, how many syllables do you hear in dentist? Right. That's all it is. How many do you hear? Don't you don't have to look it up in the dictionary. You don't have to be told. You could hear them and count them. And it's really, really rare to meet anybody who can't do that. They might kind of not get what you're talking about for a bit. And then you just model it for a while. Um, dentist. OK, how many syllables? Yeah, two. Say them clearly. So I say that to the student. Say them clearly. And they're going to go dentist, probably. And I would go, great, can you write den? D, eh, mm. say the sounds as you're writing it. Can you write tist? Oh yeah, tist. Now we start with puzzles. We do graphene puzzles. And in that case, there'd be one sound on each puzzle piece and they get to build it. It's super, super safe. They cannot fail when they're doing puzzles. And then they write it and then they copy it and then they write it out again. So they, it's slightly repetitious, but it's, um, they don't notice it's repetitious because it happens really fast and in a slightly different way every time. And then at the end of the lesson, you might go, hey, do you want to try spelling dentist? Oh, okay. And and they'll read it in text too. So that that's how we approach it. And so syllables are simply what you hear. Um, it's, just, it's, it's like doing that practice over and over when they get to you know a word that they don't know and they're reading it they're trying different that, you know, they're trying to break it up into different parts in their mind and reading those different parts kind of the same way they did just opposite direction, <laughs> you know, when they're, when yeah, they're well, they, 
yeah so if they're come along and they read dentist that what they need to go is go and well they might do dent there that's fine and dent ist is dent is oh dentist and that's uh, oh there you you see that little light comes on of course they're also reading it in the context of text so they're checking it's really important they're checking in for meaning in context they right. are not creating meaning from the context, which is traditionally what they've been doing, which is what we call guessing, because they end up yeah. throwing any old yeah. word in there and without reading it, actually decoding it and listening. And that is so key. Our, I think our students don't know that they're listening. You know, when people say, right. um, people say, sound it out. I want to ban sound it out from all of education. I was thinking today, it's like telling an anxious person to chill out. It's like, if I knew what sounded out meant, I'd do it. You know, if I knew how to chill out, I wouldn't be so anxious. It yeah. just is not helpful. Um, so, you know, so instead we say, okay, say those sounds. Listen, tell me what word to hear. Right. So they're listening. They're make, trying to make that connection to a word that they already yeah. know. So if they read it denticed, you know, they'd say, well, I don't know any word that's denticed. Hold on, exactly. I know that, you know, let me change this, you know, oh, dentist, that makes sense. I know a word. Yeah. And sometimes you get a word that, for instance, we do July, we're doing all, all the ways that you can pronounce a Y in a word and they get to July. Well, if they say Julie, I'm going to look pretty foolish if I say, do you know a word Julie? Well, yeah, it's my mom, actually. Um, so so in that case, you know, we write it in a quick little sentence, a phrase, June, July, August, and then say, now decode it. Oh yeah, okay, that's gotcha. gonna be July. So you just try it another way and they get really fast at it. Try it another way. Oh yeah. Yeah. I You mentioned working with, um, you know, youth offender populations and that's definitely, uh, you know, a population of students that I don't hear a lot about. So can you just tell us a little bit about that work and maybe what you have found unique with those populations of students? Yeah, I think I alluded to it a little bit earlier in that, and this is with my you know youth worker hat on teenagers are are kids first and they may have really complex lives and they may be very angry and they be, may be messed up in some horrendous stuff like i don't minimize that but at heart they want to be able to do what all their peers can do they don't want to feel stupid and they when you meet one to one they really want to do it right for you which is lovely. It's when you, you know, you you turn off the the school thing and just I'm Trish and and that's that's it. You know, you don't have to have any kind of authority. There's no because there's nothing to kick against in a that reading thing session. It's always their choice to be there. So when you work in that situation, I think sometimes schools can make it hard because they make them go. Um, and, and that's a little bit more difficult. But uh, yeah, as I said, giving them that agency and showing them how quickly they can succeed is it works no matter who you are. And and I I literally have schools in prisons around the English speaking world. And well, I guess here in Australia, mostly, um, but also in like some of the most expensive private schools you could imagine here in Britain. Um, teenagers are teenagers in, in many respects and they have the same needs. 
yeah um, when it comes to reading yeah that that relationship piece you know is just so so important and one of the things that i notice a lot of times for our students who are teenagers is they've had you know every year here in you know the states every year they they've got a new teacher and it's almost like they've got to start over again and a lot of times that also means that the reading program starts over again you know so it's like they're always going back to the beginning and starting over again and it's you know takes three four months for the teacher to really get a handle of where the student even is reading wise and and how to help them and then by the time that's ready to go they're school year's ending and they're moving on to the next the next yeah I agree and 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 people respond (laughs) they people Oh, when I'm not, I'm a terrible classroom teacher. I just want to, I'm, I'll put that out there. I was not a happy classroom teacher because I was a relational youth worker. So I, I wanted, I didn't like being in that sort of, you know, role of, of being up front, being the boss. So in the end, my favorite time of day was detention where kids would come and we could just talk and they'd bring their friends to detention because it was just a nice place to hang out. Um, and and that's, you know, that's where I'm happy. Now, I know lots and lots of teachers who think that that's nuts and they were much happier, you know, in the classroom, being good classroom managers, all that kind of stuff. So teachers are, you know, there's a broad variety of teachers and, and temperaments going on there. Um, oh, you know what? I've just done that blank thing. What, what were we saying? <laughs> um I don't now Now you've got me too. I'm like, wait a minute. I was just listening. You're talking about teenagers we were talking about the relationships how important relationships so so the relational thing you know some teachers that's not their temperament to do the relational thing it's automatically my temperament to do that um and and I would just you know I'd look at schools you're saying we don't you know obviously school budgets have just been massacred recently so so what do they do well I encourage I would encourage especially in the in the states where you've got I think even a bigger problem with older with teenagers not being able to read um I do think it's a little bit more significant um to partner up with your local youth projects and find a couple of youth workers who want to do it and who are good at it I mean that's not it's not for everybody it's not it's not for everybody to deliver but who who grab it and um you know see what you can do it from at a at a community level I don't know what access is like in schools if youth workers are allowed to come in or if kids are allowed to go out to youth projects but um yeah I really encourage that and you know I I think what you're saying is especially true for the that's those secondary teachers I mean most of the secondary teachers that I talked to did not get into teaching thinking they were going to have to teach someone how to read. I think you alluded to it at the beginning, right? Like you go in, you're like, no, I'm here to teach biology. <laughs> and yeah. then you realize, well, wait a minute, my kids can't read the words on the sheets I'm giving them or can't read the words on the, you know, and, on the projector. And, and they don't know what to do because that was never included no. in secondary teacher training at all. <laughs> None of that. At all. And I, and I encourage schools. I don't, I don't, would never burden the, the science teacher with that, but I would burden the science teacher with a specific way to teach the vocabulary necessary for your course. And at my big dream, I, I don't think anybody actually has quite picked it up yet, is to have across a whole school, every single teacher using the same approach. Right. It ha- I have actually seen one school do it. They use the same language about language. Yeah. So every kid, the ones who are struggling to read and off getting TRT, they're coming into math 
class and going, oh, wow, that's what we do in TRT. That's how we spell there, right? I can do that. Yeah. (laughs) So so having the same language about language is really important in in a secondary school. And I think we're we're not quite there yet. I mean, I get a lot of teachers, they're burdened. (laughs) I get that. They've got a lot to do. Yeah, but I, I think that that's so important that everyone's on the same page and that your administrator, you know, the principal, that they understand, that everyone understands those basic concepts so that when they are in a classroom or when they're, you know, notice a student who's struggling, they can jump in and that student can really generalize what they're learning in a session with you, you know, or a youth worker or whoever to what they're doing all day yeah. and make those connections. Yeah. Adults, I'm sure you've worked with some adults. What what have you found working with, you know, old, uh, older, 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 older adults? I haven't, but but I I don't actually work in the trenches right now right. because I'm a woman in a little office <laughs> <laughs> talking to teachers all over the world, which is lovely. But that's my days. Um, but our oldest, our oldest student right now is 86. Wow, and his niece is teaching him and he was told more than once that he would never learn to read that he was you know we get the older people who come the adult and I say adults I mean you know over 20 yeah um often come saying things like I'm unteachable Mm -hmm. because that's what I've been told um and he's he's very slow going we had, had to change you know hearing aids and illness and all sorts of stuff comes up at that age but my goodness this man is my new role model for getting older because to want to conquer something yes at that age that you have been told you can't do since you were a tiny child is is a strength of character that we should all aspire to I think absolutely anyway he just went into town and for the first time in his whole marriage he bought an anniversary he read the verses and picked a card for his wife he said it was hard and he didn't understand every word but he was so happy and it was their 65th wedding anniversary so just imagine how she felt right um, well you don't think about all those little things that you wouldn't be able to do right like you don't you take we i feel like we take it for granted that we can like easily you know read a message someone left us or like you said look at a card you know, to pick out a card. We don't think about all those little things yeah. at all. Or a menu, yeah. you know, a menu to to look at. I yeah. you know work with a lot of students who, you know, have developmental disabilities um, and often are, you know, in the high school um, and they are being, you know, they're getting ready to transition, you know, to adult life. And the teachers are very focused on things like, you know, memorizing words um that they might see in the community and I'm like well that's really just not enough right because you're not going to be able to memorize all of the words that you would need to read a bus schedule or to read a menu you're not you're just not going to be able to do it so knowing the word chicken like is not going to really help me in the grand scheme of things versus knowing you know that ch makes the sound or you know that I probably use um, they seem to think we're going to spend a lot of time reading fast food menus. Right. Think, what, right? right. Yes. I, yeah. um, there's a brilliant woman. Her name is Anne Sullivan. You should get her on the next podcast. And she has a program that just chimes with that reading thing. It's also linguistic phonics called phonics 
for um, pupils with special educational needs and it can be used at any for any age yeah um and we we sort of dovetail some schools want to use a bit a bit of both but right. um you know she's got such experience working with students who other people have said there is no way that young person is going to learn to read even children um who who don't have speech mm-hmm. you know really phenomenal stuff um and and they can learn to read so yeah we had I actually I, that's- have, I had her on the podcast uh oh, did you? <laughs> so if, anyone, if any of our listeners want to go grab that one it was a really great one as well especially working with that that population of students um for sure yeah. but I feel like the, the, both of those populations, like you said, these older students and students with you know, more significant disabilities oftentimes just get left out of the conversation. So much of the conversation, so much of the, you know, the products and the curriculum is focused on, um, you know, younger students. And like you said, you know, 15, 16 year old doesn't want to like look at, you know, the dog ate the cat like you know it's just not what they want to no they'd like to see that they just don't want to read about it (laughs) right exactly excellent so 86 you said he was the gentleman was 86 so I am imagining that you there's no cutoff age for learning to read in your mind (laughs) there's no cutoff age there's no the other thing is nobody is so whatever because of Anne she's also giving me this no one is so unable to learn to read that you can't make a start Mm -hmm. and I think for for people sometimes you have to sort of um bring down expectations a little bit and say look let's get you 10 steps from where you are right now and see what that feels like um worked with a man who was I did work with a guy just just in a distance way when he was in his 60s and he was quite upset that I told him well that I use dictionaries all the time because he thought I was going to fix him and he wasn't going to have to (laughs) use dictionaries I kind of said oh no good spellers use dictionaries right so there's things like that where adults really want things to be perfect and they won't be and teenagers too I think they they might especially very very dyslexic um, profoundly dyslexic I'll, I'll say um, young people they do want to be like their peers and yet their writing is probably their spelling is going to be difficult for maybe forever um, and so they need to use that combination we can get them reading which is fantastic um, but they might rely on on some help for their spelling so sure. um, you know just to kind of realistic expectations and there is so much out there there nowadays you know especially thinking about like phones and it auto corrects and you know as far as spelling goes and things yeah. like that it's not not perfect I have a lot of you know older students especially who are like oh I can just use the grammar check or the autocorrect I'm like okay but it's not if you don't have it close enough the autocorrect is going to give you something that you're not wanting so you do have to you know balance that but there is a lot yeah. of tools out there now that there didn't used to be that certainly can help in those regards as well yeah but you just you you hit it on the head there by it. You need a certain amount of literacy to use tools to help you with your literacy. Exactly. <laughs> like you can't go from ground zero and just tell them every time they say that I met a lady who spent a lot of money on a training manual with a sentence about unstressed bowel sounds. <laughs> Cause spell checker doesn't tell you when you've used that, right? the wrong word. Oh, that's funny. That yeah, it wasn't at the time, but I'm over it now. now like, 
Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't at the time. Oh gosh. Well, Trisha, um, this has been a really great conversation. Where can people find you if they want to know more? Um, thatreadingthing.com. And just use the contact form to get in touch. I have just requested joining your uh, Facebook okay. community. So if people have questions, to so just pop in there and, and ask me. Um, okay. Yeah. That is great. Well, we'll put, um, I know you're on Twitter and whatnot uh, as well. We'll put that information in the show notes for people to get to. Um, if you aren't, uh, those of you listening, if you're not in our Facebook group, we do have a uh, uh, Science of Reading Special Education Facebook group that is will be linked below as well. You can join us there. Um, any parting words for us today, Tricia, before we go? Um, it's never too late. Don't give up. And um just ask, like, just get in touch and say, do you think this will help? And I will always give you a thoughtful answer. Um, and sometimes, sometimes it's no, I think you should try something else instead. Right. So yeah, just, just don't, don't give up. It's never too late. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Trisha. Thank you.